the advice I would actually give now to people is if you're bringing in a piece of technology that you view as critical for your organization, for your team, for the company, then really take the time and effort to fund that. And if you can't initially try to get it transferred so that it is ultimately in your budget, because exactly to your point, like if you don't own the budget, you don't own the destiny of that tool. Welcome to Modern Business Operations, where we talk with leaders about how Ops is adapting to our modern world. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Modern Business Operations. I'm your host, Seth Colliner, and I'm here today with Kathy Zhu, who is the co-founder, CEO, and GC at Streamline AI. And Kathy, why don't you, we start by having you just introduce yourself a little bit, share a bit about your background and your current role. Sure. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks so much for having me, Seth. So Seth just mentioned, you know, I'm leading a company called Streamline AI. Prior to Streamline, I actually spent over a decade practicing law. I started at Wilson Sonsini, went in-house uh, a few years after that, and had a series of in-house roles. Most recently, I was AGC, head of commercial legal and legal operation at DoorDash, where I spent four years. That's great. And so we're doing a slightly different format where I want you to walk us through the process of building an in-house legal function from scratch, be- because you've done that. You've done that very thing. So you have the very precise knowledge of that. I, th- I think so many people, they come in at different points in this process. But yeah, a lot, especially in startup land, right? Like a lot of people, they just have to start from scratch and go. You know, they don't even know what vision to have for what scalability even looks like and all of the difficult parts and pieces and unexpected things that happen along the way. So I would just walk us through that. And I'll have additional questions along the way and I'll jump in and interrupt here and there. But start at the beginning of your story in a company that was about to start very quickly. Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, I I think, you know, I was so lucky to have had that experience, right? To come in blank slate and be able to do things my way. And and really, I, I think it's been just tremendous background for now, like building a business from scratch. But anyhow, kind of jumping into it. So I was hired as the fifth lawyer on the DoorDash legal team, the very first commercial lawyer. So everyone before me were a mix of litigators and, you know, policy. And they were all kind of doing different things, but they were like, okay, we're getting hundreds and hundreds of contracts. We need someone who actually knows what they're doing, specializing in this. So this was in in 2018. And I started working one month after DoorDash closed a monster round, $250 million series E round. So they were positioned for explosive growth. And I kind of, when I tell the story, I always like to say they should have really hired five of me at the same time, because that's how much work was sitting there and waiting for me on day one. I already had a line out the door on day one. People were like, you know, they said you were starting. And so I've been waiting around for three weeks for this to get done. Can you do it now? You know, so it never slowed down. And I did not get headcount to actually hire until eight months in. And so what I did during the first couple of weeks was that instrumental to not just success, but survival, right? Until I got the headcount to hire. So very first thing I did was to meet with all the different department leaders that I needed to support. And I basically let them know very plainly, the only way that we could make it out of this was to obsessively prioritize, right? And I really needed them to actually be able to empathize and see the situation through my eyes because people get lost, you know, in their work. They get blinders on and they're only thinking about what do I need to get something done. I needed them to see that I was on their side, right? I want to help you make money and I want to help the business succeed. But the only way to do that is if I spend my time on where it really matters. So I eventually, you know, got that message through so clearly that people on the smaller business teams or needing vendors 
partnerships and just smaller things. They actually had an awareness of that when they came to me. And most business teams don't. So investing in that early is, is critical. Okay. And then the other thing when you're working at a massively scaling company is making sure you're maximizing every minute of your time. And as an individual contributor, I focus my energy on things that truly move the needle the most. There were actually several days a week where I wouldn't take meetings or minimized meetings, only the, the most critical ones, right? So I had these big chunks of time where I could just heads down and really just bang out as much as possible. And, you know, for people who like to get things done, that's actually a really awesome feeling. <laughs> that's a really smart idea. That is, I forget the name of the maxim or the thought, but there's some thought pieces on the difference between uh, manager time and worker time. You know, manager time is meetings and coordinating and getting people rolling, you know, and worker time is those blocks that you mentioned where you can just focus and actually get that creative work done. So that's a, that's fantastic. That's a great piece of advice. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the other thing too is often people who know they're going to lead a big team eventually, they poo-poo the IC work a little bit. They think it's a little beneath them. I think it's critical to be an effective manager. You need to walk many, many miles in your report's shoes so that you can actually get into the weeds with them. Recently, you know, the CEO of Airbnb actually had this fantastic podcast where he talked about get into the details. To be even as a CEO, he's still reviewing, you know, comms and product, you know, PRDs and all sorts of things that most people think CEOs shouldn't have anything to do with. But the same with running a legal team, you know, knowing what each piece of work is being done and being able to actually advise on that in detail is critical. And the other part, and we can go into a bit more detail later, is actually setting up the right foundation in the systems so your future hires can plug in seamlessly. I think there's not enough emphasis on that because, you know, leaders often say, build key relationships, learn the business, right? They completely forget about the process building. And if that's not done, that nothing else works very effectively after that point. So what I did you know, was set up an intake system. I built playbooks so that the whole team could actually negotiate with the same voice on the same issues. I identified swim lanes so I knew how to structure the team. I hired this person to take care of this piece. I hired that person to take care of the rest, right? And then later on, how it could layer. So it's really helpful to kind of have that five-year view going into it, you know, even from maybe day 15. <laughs> yeah. Well, so the processes are super important. Let's agree that is just a, a truism. So that's great. But how do the tools and technologies fit into that, to creating those processes or streamlining them, automating them, whatever the case may be? Yeah, absolutely. So during the very, very first part of my tenure, in just the few weeks, actually, what I did was I created an intake process for each of the major business functions that I supported. And the idea there is, you know, you kind of know what questions you need answered in order to effectively work on anything coming from this particular team, right? And these different intake processes are tailored for the kinds of work that team is sending you. And the idea is to just cut out any back and forth that you need to have so that you're getting all the information up front. I can't stress this enough for legal teams that are lean, that have too much work. You have no idea how much time you're wasting if you have to do a back and forth on every single request and then manually take that to another team, have the same back and forth explaining to them what's going on and getting their approval, you really want to set up a process that just automates that. So when you are ready to do the work, you could just bang it out, right? Which is the point that I eventually got to and, and it was very effective. The, the other part is actually collecting data. So 
again, like legal teams are amazing at doing substantive legal, legal work, but we often forget the power of data and metrics, especially when it comes to advocating for resources and substantiating the need for those resources. If you go to your finance team with a lot of stories about how much work you're doing, people are burning out, like the finance person is like, does that translate to two people? Does that translate to half a person? Like they don't know that, right? So the process, you know, the intake process I built out ultimately led to the ability to collect data around the work. And that enables you to actually figure out, okay, I have this many people mapped to supporting that many people on the business side. So you have a ratio, right? And you also have a ratio of people on your team to how much work is actually getting generated and the response times. So then you can start extrapolating that and projecting it forward. If there are increases, this is, you know, and this is actually a really critical thing. I think a lot of legal teams are still kind of building a muscle around. So that was one big, one big process that I got up and running. The other one that made a massive difference, not just internally for how I ran my team, but actually how DoorDash managed all of their contracts at scale. I brought in a piece of technology that enabled the entire SMB sales team to click wrap all of their standardized contracts. So that was a huge shift towards improving compliance so that everything could actually be searched and you know discovered and then also enable these deals to be completed much more efficiently. That was another really important process and tool. How do you do all of this without a dedicated ops team? That's, that's kind of the, bur- the burning question. This all sounds brilliant, but <laughs> it sounds like 10 people. How do you do it without the dedicated ops team? This episode is brought to you by Tonkeen. Tonkeen's process experience platform seamlessly wraps around existing policies and systems, allowing internal service teams to do more with what they already have. Build process experiences that are personalized for each requester and use AI to automate the intake, triage, and resolution of every request. Maximize adoption, compliance, and efficiency with no change management and no code. Yeah, million dollar question, right? So the internal systems and internal processes is something that I honestly did it on my nights and weekends to get the basic version set up. And that worked to support me and the two new hires that I brought on, right? And then after I got them on board, I made it very clear that improving processes is an ongoing thing. And that's something that the whole team had to get around. So we all actually had a hand in improving that. Whenever we brought on someone new, we updated everything, right? We brought on, we, we created new onboarding templates and playbooks. You know, we published, eventually we got to a point where we had an external wiki for all of our business teams to get their resources and an internal wiki for our own team to find templates, to understand research, like, you know, how to find everything. So that's the short answer to the first system I set up. The second one, a little bit of ingenuity was involved there. Because rolling out a system to hundreds of salespeople is no small feat. And I had this huge, you know, you just heard how much work it had to do as an IC. There was absolutely no time to, to handle that kind of project. So I actually found someone in the business who was super tenured, super connected, and also had the inherent trust of the sales team. So he was the first salesperson at DoorDash, and he trained the whole sales team. He was literally head of sales training. And he saw a lot of value in what I was trying to do. And I I truly built a champion and a partner in him. And he ended up resourcing this whole project, rolling it out, measuring the results. So I was behind the scenes, right? I just planted the seed and really kind of greased the wheels. He did the heavy lifting. His name is Brian Summers and ultimately led to him actually building out an entirely new division that never existed, which came from this new project. I mean, it's 
to me, that that opened my eyes actually to the power of innovation and bringing in new technology. It elevates, you know, the work that you do, right? And your stature as a leader within the business. All of that changed for me because of this project. It's interesting and, and not to overly reduce that, but it, it kind of sounds like how you do it without a dedicated ops team is you deputize other people in the company to do your ops for you <laughs> to an extent. Correct. Yes, exactly. Right. Yeah. And you have to learn how to pitch that so that they're bought in. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's talk about that. Talk about the importance of, for lack of a better term, building bridges between the legal team and, and the rest of the business, these different departments. So, you know, legal teams just do not operate in a silo. Like our work inherently is linked to supporting these other business functions. You just heard me talk a little bit about a situation where, you know, we're not only providing the support and helping the business teams achieve their objectives, but actually you can partner with them to complete these really important company-wide initiatives, right? So the work of the legal team is 100% more effective and, and easier with a business team that actually views you as a partner. And, you know, to do that, they, they need to also view you as an innovator as well, that you're actually here thinking of very creative ways to help them do their work better and faster. You're not here just to throw a bunch of risk at them and then say like, hey, let's not move forward, right? So that is actually a really key thing to kind of align yourselves with right off the bat. And then they're going to bring things to you proactively. I got to the point where, you know, business people were bringing super, super nascent ideas that they hadn't even sold and pitched to their people yet. And they would bring that to me because they were like, Kathy, I know that this is kind of weird. <laughs> you know, I mean, I need, need a thought partner to think this through with. Will you do that with me? That's a huge win to be able to get to that point. So I, I think, you know, I was a decent lawyer, but I think building the relationships and building the bridges is actually a superpower that I developed over time. And it's frankly so fun to be able to do that, right? It's fun, not just for you, it's fun for the entire team because, you know, no one wants to feel like their job is the party killer. No one likes to, you know, it's demotivating versus you showing up to work and everyone's embracing you, right? And celebrating your wins. It's just a totally different feeling. And that's what's well, interesting. You bring up the next thing I was going to ask you about, which is you doing things you didn't know that you were going to be good at or going to have to be good at, right? Like there's this old thing in work where a lot of times people get promoted one step above their competency level, right? Like just because you're good at widget making doesn't mean you're going to be good at managing the widget makers. And anyone who's been in a management role knows managing uh, human beings, whether it's you know in parallel, like building those bridges with the teams or dealing with direct reports, is a whole set of skills, hard skills and soft skills, and most people aren't very good at it. And so, you know, kind of on that note, you know, what were some of the unexpected challenges you came to? For example, learning to manage, you know, a, a team of people once you, you know, built everything yourself. Yeah. And I think also it was just the, the speed at which the team grew, right? It took me eight months to hire my first person. But by the time I left DoorDash, I had a team of more than 12 people and multiple layers under me. And that's when it got really hard. I think like at five or six, that was the sweet spot, right? Everybody sort of knew what, what we were all working on. We all fit onto the same Zoom screen. I designed really fun, you know, offsite, onsite experiences for us to have where we bonded. You know, I, I remember doing a virtual cooking class where I hired this chef from Italy that that zoomed in, you know, and we were all in our kitchens kind of making stuff. To, so those were the really kind of fun moments. But the actual, you know, just the experience of managing a multi-layered organization, creating the swim lanes and ensuring that people had a very clear sense of these are my responsibilities. These are the business orgs that I map to, right? Super important. But like, 
stretch that out to a year or two years where they're still doing the same work. How do you keep that engaging for people so that they're not burning out, so that they're not getting bored? And also, how do you do that within an organization that's growing from a thousand to five thousand to ten thousand, where almost it feels like overnight it's becoming so much harder for promotions to happen? You know, you're starting to lock down the different tiers. So, so now you have to work with these company policies and make sure that translates to an engaging environment for the team. So, I really feel like I learned so much from that time, you know, at DoorDash. And it's really helping me kind of think about how we scale and build the team here at Streamline. Yeah. Well, tell me more about some of these challenges, though. In previous conversation, we touched on some of these, right? So everything from the budget to everything else. Tell me more about not owning the budget for your tools, because that's, you know, control is such a thing. All humans want some measure of control over themselves, whether you're a toddler or, or you know, managing a giant company. That sounds really hard to me. I'm not great at convincing people of things they don't want <laughs> myself. I would love to have control over my budgets. I want to know exactly where everything's going. But that was one thing that that you didn't really have the advantage of. So talk about that a little bit. And that, yeah, that definitely. Thanks for reminding me. So the tool that I brought in, you know, the tool that that rolled out to the sales team, I sort of use a shortcut to get that approved in the sense that I didn't try very hard for that to be absorbed by the legal budget because it was going to turn into a large dollar amount. And instead, you know, you, you already heard I'm good at pitching things, right, to, to, to other people and having them agree to come on board. So I pitched it to the sales organization that has a much larger budget than the legal team, thinking this is going to be a great idea to get it done fast. And it was initially. But then what happened was because I didn't own that line item for that tool, and it lived with another team. When the company grew, new leadership was brought in who had a very different idea, different way of thinking about it and a different set of experiences. And I found that I no longer had the same level of input or sway over the future of this tool. And that really opened my eyes. And you know, the advice I would actually give now to people is if you're bringing in a piece of technology that you view as critical for your organization, for your team, for the company, then really take the time and effort to fund that. And if you can't initially try to get it transferred so that it is ultimately in your budget, because exactly to your point, like if you don't own the budget, you don't own the destiny of that tool. And it becomes very hard, the larger organization gets to ensure that there is alignment. There's a lot of great advice you've given us in this episode. What about the, the best advice that you've received in your career? I love the saying that luck favors the prepared mind. That's something I was told as a very junior associate working in a law firm by another woman, actually. And, and you know, she said, this is something that I think a lot of women do very well. We over-prepare <laughs> for every scenario because we don't want to get caught off guard and blindsided. But that's something that has served me up to now. And I'll give you a couple of recent examples of this. Recently, we had a board meeting at Streamline. And, you know, even though it was a, an early kind of board meeting, we don't have a formal board yet, I way overprepared for that with this big deck. It was very robust. And what it eventually led to was an, an additional fundraise for us that was completely unexpected, came out of the blue. And that happened because, you know, I kind of overprepared and told a very strong story of performance, right? And, and everything we were able to achieve. And also recently winning the business of law category at the Legal Tech Summit because practice that pitch over and over and over again. And ultimately, after I delivered it, right, the audience voted us as the winner of that category. So that was really great. 
I always think of that as a sports metaphor. You know, the person who gets called into the game to replace a star quarterback isn't in the stands, they're on the end of the bench, right? They've been there for every practice, they're prepared, they're ready to go. That's the person who gets called on and then they succeed because they're ready to go. It's not because they got lucky. So before we go, is there anything you want to promote about your yourself or your company? And if people want to get a hold of you, what's the best way to do that? So I really translated all of those learnings, you know, and kind of insights into the missing piece for legal teams around the metrics, around the visibility, around intake. And that's what Streamline is. So we built in an intake workflow automation and reporting system for in-house legal teams, built purpose-built for in-house legal teams. So if you want to find out more, www.streamline.ai, that's our website. And if you want to reach out to me, you can find me on LinkedIn. Probably easier to do Kathy M. Zhu and then Streamline AI, and you'll be able to find me. Very good. Kathy Zhu, thank you so much for your time and expertise today. Thank you so much, Seth, for having me. It's been a great conversation. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Modern Business Operations. You can see the show notes and all of the resources mentioned in today's episode at tonkin.com slash mbopod. Thank you for listening and be sure to subscribe for updates on future episodes. And if you're interested in staying up to date on all things business operations, join the Tonkin community at tonkin.com slash community.